0: time I talked about showing up, that it's so important that we start and that the real battle is not whether to do the thing, or I'm sorry, not how hard it is to do the thing you're called to do, but actually to show up and start. And I talked about rough drafts and just just get going, just get something on the page, just show up and try, that a legitimate failure in the path of what God created you for is a success. and an. You know, succeeding at something you're not designed to do, you're not called to do, you're not created to do, is a fail. I can't really see you. The lights aren't on. Can that be remedied? I'd like to see your beautiful faces. Thank you. Oh, you look good. Good morning. And so this time around, it's about the next step of that. It's after we show up, after we get words on the page or whatever the thing is for the calling, then we edit we get something out there, but then we work with it. We take what's okay, and we turn it into what's good, and we take what's good, and we edit it till it's awesome. And if you're a painter, you know about this. You start with the broad brush strokes and the basic vision, and then you co- go back, and you work on the details, and you, you keep you keep kind of looking at it, and you keep coming back and adjusting until it finally gets lined up. Or if you're Brian Hibbs, and you work on cars, you know about all that fine detail is hours and hours and hours and hours, and hours of of feeling with your hand until the texture, oh no, there's a bump there. Brian, it looks fine to me. The other day we were in the shop and there was something that he was powder coating. Excuse me. There was something he was powder coating for April Young, I think. Some hangers of some sort. What, for plants? For a chair. It looked perfect to me. It looked Done. He said, no, that needs to be finished, that needs to be redone, this whole thing here. You see how this texture is wrong? And I looked at it, and I said, it's perfect. It's never going to rust. It's totally powder-coated and totally functional. He said, it's not done yet. Then he showed me the car he was working on, and I don't know. I think probably 30% of the work is the basic thing, and maybe 70% of the work is achieved in the edit. Does that make sense? Why do I ask questions like that? It's not like there's going to be a substantive response. You don't have microphones. You know what I'm saying? So in the show, Parks and Recreation, two of my favorite characters are Chris Traeger and Ben Wyatt. Chris Traeger is enthusiastic He's a health nut. He's always positive. He likes every person he meets. And he never tells anyone no without them not even recognizing that they were told no because he was so encouraging. He once broke up with Ann and she didn't find out for a week. She thought they had a positive and encouraging conversation and then she went in for a kiss and he said, Oh no, what? What? And she said, What happened? Because he was so positive and so encouraging that when he dumped her, She just didn't notice. So Chris is hired by the state of Indiana to come in and reconfigure different cities' governments. But he's partnered with this other guy named Ben Wyatt. And the deal is, Chris is the encourager. He makes everyone positive and hopeful. And Ben is the numbers cruncher. And he kills everything. So Chris will come in and say, how's it going? Just want to say you're doing a great job. All right, Ben, over to you. Ben. We have no money. Half of you will be fired. Awesome talk, everyone. Good good luck. Or he'll enthusiastically support someone's idea. That sounds like an amazing idea. Ben, can we do it? No. Ah, sorry. And so they've been well partnered. And I think of Chris Traeger as that creative spark, that person, that part of us that has all the ideas and all the enthusiasm. But then there's this other part of us that actually tethers that thing in reality, and it, that tethers. The, and that's an internal process that can be really, really hard. As I work on things I've written, there's a part of me that's the Chris Traeger that's like, we could say this, and we could say this, and we could say this, and it's going to be awesome, but then there's this other part of me, this Ben Wyatt character that says, this paragraph that you love so much has to be deleted because it's totally off topic, Tim, and I go, no, but you have to delete it. Or, this is a little trick that I use, start a new document to give that little paragraph a place to live other than the trash can. But Chris Traeger is sort of like the creative spark, and Ben Wyatt is the editor. And I've been thinking about this whole process of editing that, that not just applies to your work, but what, how does this apply to our lives? So I've titled the sermon, Life Edited. In editing, we, we make things better typically by subtracting the unessential components or the distracting components. Editing is almost like in sculpting where you remove those parts that are not the image until you arrive at the image. Editing is about adding clarity and simplicity. It's about seeing the big picture and removing Of course, in the middle of the edit, the creator in the other side of the car will sometimes get an enthusiastic idea and say, ooh, ooh, give me the wheel, give me the wheel, and you let him back in, and then the project gets longer again, and more complicated again. But the editor is ruthless. Uh, in, In writing parlance, there's a common phrase that says, you have to kill your darlings. That doesn't sound very friendly, does it? Or you have to cull the herd. Anyone know what culling the herd means? Oh, that doesn't sound fun. I'm not explaining it. I don't want the children to be traumatized by calling the herd. But when, with our work, we take the raw material that's okay and we edit till it's good, and then we keep editing until it's awesome. You edit to awesome, and I've been thinking, what about our lives? What if a lot of us are living out our first draft? Have you ever lived out the first draft in a conversation with somebody where you said the first thing that came out of you and it did a lot of damage? And it's so interesting. If you look in the Scripture, the Scripture has so much to say about the tongue. And one of the things, if I could summarize, that the Bible has to say about the tongue is edit. Don't go with your first draft. Choose your words carefully because they can crush or they can bring life. And how how many times... Have we wished we could go back in time and say what we said wrong the right way? I do think, though, there's a lot of us that feel like in the interest of being authentic and honest, unedited is better. And I just want to submit to you the idea that that's probably not the case. You can be honest, we can be honest in, a, in such a way that builds up other people. That really what we're talking about when, be, when we're saying being real is trying to find a way to transparently bring forth what's in my heart. And often in the rough, rough cut of what I have to say, I'm not only hurting others, I'm actually misrepresenting myself. Because I haven't said carefully what it is I came to say. Life edited is going to be a lot better Than life unedited. And I've heard people say, you know, if something comes from the Holy Spirit, it really is beyond editing. You know, if God gave me this, then, then who am I to try to improve upon it? That sounds spiritual. I don't think that's correct. You realize your Bible has been edited. Usually the stories in your Bible lived as stories that were told for generations. And after generations of the telling finally written down, the version that made it into the book, I'm not saying it's not accurate. I'm saying it's been carefully selected from among a whole bunch of different stories that were also true, but not as important, and they didn't get in. Things have been edited out. There are things that were edited in later. How many of you know the story of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8? Four of you, five, okay. Just raise your hand. How many of you have seen the bracket in your Bible and the little footnote at the bottom that says, this story is believed to not have been original to John's gospel? So all the scholars are aware that that story in John chapter 8 was not in the original writing of that gospel. But how many of you would be willing to throw it away? So the question I have is, is the Holy Spirit in the edit, or is he only in the first draft that John wrote or spoke into someone else's writing? And I would say, no, the Holy Spirit is in the edit. The inspiration that gives the original vision is also available over here with the follow up revision. Have you ever edited a prophetic word the Lord gave you? Did you know you can do that? That you can go back and ask the Holy Spirit if what you've written on the page is as clear as the impression you were getting in your heart, or can this be refined to be even more faithful? To what the Lord was downloading to you in that previous moment. And did you know He can expand on it later? And that's not a violation of the Holy Spirit speaking to us? I don't know if you know this, but I'm not gonna, this is not me criticizing uh, Muslims, but the Muslim understanding of their Bible is it cannot be translated. Because once it's translated, it's no longer inspired. That's a very wooden understanding of inspiration. We have a God in our Bible who invites translation. We have a a God who is willing to take on someone else's culture and even risk misrepresenting himself. This is what we've been talking about a little bit in uh, the Gateway DTS class. Tammy said the other night that the Israelites said, No, we don't want a face-to-face relationship with you, God. We don't want to be a kingdom of priests. Just talk to Moses instead of us. So in response to the greatest disappointing scene in the whole Bible, suddenly the people have a law instead of a relationship, and God wanted a relationship. So he was willing to condescend to them and and risk being misrepresented to keep going and to push toward... Okay, you get what I'm saying here, which is, you don't. Shall I clarify? Or shall I just keep going? <laughs> Mom says keep going. Holy Spirit is in the edits, not just the original creative spark, not just the original word. Another thing that I've, I was thinking about is with, with editing in the work and editing in life is outside collaborators. If you've ever read an, uh, you know, an author, they talk about working their tail off. They put their soul and their heart and months of labor and sweat into this book they've written, but then they, then they have this moment where they send the copy off to their editor, even though they've already edited it, and then they, they feel as though they've put their heart out there to just be decimated, destroyed, criticized, and slapped, and then here comes the copy back with all the red ink and all the suggestions, cut this character out, this whole thread is off topic, this is undeveloped, where are we even going with this, you lost me around chapter 8. And then, at least like people like Annie Lamott say things like, after cursing my editor, telling him he doesn't understand anything about me, wanting to die, wishing to quit, eating you know nothing but ice cream straight from the tub for three days, vowing I'll never write again, finally, I get my big girl pants on, and I square my shoulders to get to work, rewriting the thing that I thought was already good enough. Because this editor is not your enemy. In fact, you picked this person because they know what you're trying to accomplish. And how many times in our life, in our lives, are we really struggling with the collaboration and the feedback someone else is giving us? I'm permanently captured, bless you, I'm permanently captured with the idea that we're writing a story with our lives. With our choices. We're writing a story with our lives. And, and I just, I love the idea am, am, I, am I writing a story with my life that I would even want to read? Because a, a, a story worth, not worth reading is probably a life not worth living. And the answer is not, oh well. I mean, just think about this with me. Think about if, if the story, if you summarize the story of your life, it's like, I wanted to get enough money to get shoes that I liked. And then I died. Or, <laughs> everything I did was just so someone would like me. And then I died. Or, I wanted to be a success so I could have nice things, and then I died. Notice the ending is always that we die, which is good because that means we have a set time limit in which to get, to, to get this thing done. And it, the principles, if you say, oh, Tim, that's depressing. No, we, we, the film is already rolling right now. It used to be when the film was rolling, pennies were dropping. You know what I mean? If a band goes into the studio and the tape is rolling, it's like, really? How rich are you? You're going to take three days on this one song? We thought we'd crank the whole album out in three days because the tape's rolling. Guys, the tape is rolling on our lives. You know? Do you show up in the studio with no songs written, winging it, trusting that it's just going to be awesome? Hopefully not. And this is where the editor comes in. I think it's so important that we learn how to edit. In the Bible, actually, I think this this life edited, this life where you're going along and then you go, oh, this isn't quite what we're going for, is actually so deep into the idea of faith because the uh, the whole point of faith is a relationship, an ongoing relationship with God who's leading us somewhere. He's, he's leading us somewhere. You could say he's like an editor saying, now turn this way, now go this way, no, now remove that, This okay, now do this. And we can experience that as like, oh man, he's killing, my, he's killing my darlings. Or we can experience that as he's editing to awesome. But really, we're the one who has to make the edit. All he does is make suggestions. We're the author of our life, not God. He's already authored his life. Now we get to partner with him. He's writing a big story. We can line ours up with his story. He's given us a big picture to map that our little story is meant to aim and point at. But it's really in our hands, and we have so much more power, power than we think we do. We, we honestly do. We have so much more power to rewrite the story of our life than we think we do. And some people, I think, fall, off, fall back on this idea. No, 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 God's writing the story. I'm just a little, I'm just a nobody. I'm just less of me, more of Jesus. Well, the sentiment there is good. If what you mean is less selfishness and more Love, that's good, but if you blame God for the story you've written for your life, that won't work, will it? I think it's so critical, that the whole, okay, the word sin in the Bible means to miss the mark. You, 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 you got to shoot a lot of arrows, if you're me, to make adjustments, oh, that one was down and to the left. So I'm going to make this adjustment. Boom. Now I'm going to make this adjustment. Oh, a little better, a little better, a little better. And those little adjustments, you could call those repentance if you'd like. And even the word repentance needs an upgrade in our thinking. The word repentance does not mean to lay on the ground and weep or put on sackcloth and ashes. Those things might happen. But the word repentance means to change your mind. It's metanoia. Change the mind. It's to, okay think differently. I think one of the principles of the Reformation is semper reformanda. It just means always reforming. That the whole goal of the Reformation was not meet the new boss, same as the old boss. I remember when I came here and we were making a bunch of changes, just trying different things, and somebody said to me, when we finally get this set up the way we want, like, are we going to be able to stop making all these changes? Like, when when are we going to get to the new normal? And I was so confused by that. Because A, I didn't think anyone was doing it wrong before. Does that make sense? None of the changes had anything... They were not reactions against what was done before. What was done before was fine for those people who were doing it. We're just trying to do it the best we can. I thought, you know, that person's expecting change to eventually come to a close because the changes are stressful. I thought... Oh, they want a new normal. Okay, well, you're going to have to put this on. The new normal is constant change. So if that's not okay with you, you'll never be okay. Because the whole point of the Reformation is not, we're going to do it better, and when we find that, then we'll do it that way forever. No, the the new normal is always reforming in the light of of the gospel, always reforming, always growing, always changing with the vision of Jesus, always keeping in step with the Spirit, always going back again to the Bible for more light and more wisdom than we have. Always editing. And I started thinking about, what, are the, what if there's seasons of life that are more creating and other seasons of life that are editing? Like, like, what if my first 40 was my rough draft and my next 40 is my edit? I don't know. What if your first, second, and third marriage were your rough draft? And you're going to have a fifth, sixth, and seventh if you don't edit yeah, I know, some people just blame all their exes for their problems. It's like the only common denominator in all your broken relationships is you, genius. <laughs> that sounded harsh, it's actually funny. <laughs> and, and, and then am I going to be willing to edit? Am I going to be willing or am I just going to fall back on my defenses? But that's my best paragraph, how dare you? That's my best trait, how dare you? Am I going to be able to collaborate with others and the Holy Spirit to edit from okay to good from good to awesome to get where we're going? It's an honest question. Most of us don't like help editing. I will edit on my own. Thank you very much. <laughs> and it is true that un- unwelcome feedback is usually perceived of as criticism. Who told me that? Somebody here told me that one day. Oh, I think it was Nancy Martin, who's now in Pennsylvania. But okay, she said, "Yeah, un, uninvited feedback is experienced as criticism." And, and what she was saying to me is, "Don't do it to your wife ever. Till she's what? she doesn't want your parenting advice till she asks for it. She doesn't want your house. How do how should we arrange the household? Maybe Tim." Just be quiet. And like I always say to others, and sometimes to myself, either help or hush, okay? (laughs) Who's with me? It's honestly, it's not a given that we're going to be able to receive the editing that we need to receive. It's not a given. And the good thing about the Lord is he earns his right more, more than earns his right to come into the... Editing booth and say, this is awesome. And if you add this, this, and this, and you take away that, that, and that, oh my goodness. But it still us who has to do the cuts. I'm looking at these notes going, I got seven pages and four seconds, because it's, it's negative two minutes already. Said that, said that. Okay, okay, okay. Real quick, I'm going to run through a list of principles that I kind of use when I edit, and then I want to share some song lyrics with you, and we will be done. Okay? We good? If you're not good, feel free to walk out. Just don't walk out yelling that I'm out of here and this is dumb, okay? Just just, just walk out quietly. Principles that I kind of use when I'm editing. Introductions say why, conclusions are crescendos. Stories and word pictures are louder than very accurate explanations. Accurate explanations are forgotten. Stories and word pictures are remembered. And if it can't be remembered, it can't be applied. So if it's boring, it doesn't matter that you're a genius, you're irrelevant. When in doubt, leave it out. Sometimes your favorite paragraph must go. Everything needs a single unifying thread. A sermon should say one thing many times. The end. Read it aloud. I use a teleprompter. Sometimes this does a whole bunch of things. Reading out loud helps flow of thoughts and helps transition, and it alerts you to monotony and flow of ideas. If you're bored, they're bored. Pacing. Have we gone on too long without an attention getter? The best attention getters are there to communicate, not just draw people back. I could do backflips. That would get your attention. It wouldn't help anyone. And I would break things, including me. Is this boring? Make it not boring. If you can't keep their attention, you don't deserve their attention. Length, is this short enough (laughs) to be helpful? Is it long enough to be clear? Either don't use jargon or explain jargon immediately. Remove redundancy. Clarify antecedents such as this, that, it. If there's a this, that, and an it, replace it. With the this, that, or the it. Okay. And trust the process. You might not love what you got right now. Trust the process. You might feel like this is failing. Trust the process. You might feel like this is going nowhere and no one's going to like it and it's not what I wanted. Trust the process. All right. I'm going to skip a whole bunch of stuff here. If you're given a speech, have the 45 minute version, the 15 minute version, the five minute version, and the one sentence version. There, that's free. All right. Now, Paul Simon, rewrite. Here's the point. These are song lyrics. I'm working on my rewrite. That's right. I'm gonna change the ending. Gonna throw away the title. I'm going to toss it in the trash. Every minute after midnight, all the time that I'm spending is just for working on my rewrite. That's right. I'm going to turn it into cash. I've been working at the car wash. I consider it my day job because it's really not a pay job, but that's where I am. Everybody says the old guy who's been working at the car wash, he hasn't got a brain cell left since Vietnam. But I say, help me, help me, help me, help me. Ooh, thank you. I had no idea that you were there. When I said, help me, help me, help me, help me. Oh, thank you for listening to my prayer. I've been working on my rewrite. That's right. I'm going to change the ending. I'm going to throw away my title. I'm going to toss it in the trash. Every minute after midnight, all the time that I'm spending is just for working on my rewrite, going to turn it into cash. I'll eliminate the pages where the father has a breakdown and he has to leave the family, but he really meant no harm. I'm going to substitute a car chase and a race across the rooftops where the father saves the children and he holds them in his arms. And I said, help me, help me, help me, help me. Ooh, thank you. I had no idea that you were there. When I said, help me, help me, help me, help me. Oh, thank you for listening to my prayer. I'm working on my rewrite. See, a good piece of writing is just normal writing that's been edited a good life or an awesome life is just a normal life that's been edited.